Welcome in, everybody. My name is DJ Hoppa. Happy to be here. My co-host, DJ Spider, not here today, but I'm really excited because I have John Sumroy, who is joining me all the way from Tel Aviv. I love the fact that we can do this with technology. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about John before we jump in here. John is the CEO of Carfoldio. Uh, they are famous for their MyFold booster seats, which is the ultra compact car seat. Uh, they actually created that category in 2016. Uh, in 2001, he had this vision to create a solution for these bulky booster seats that we all end up having to carry around, or we did have to carry around, um, and it makes it a pain for travel. And oftentimes, then sometimes people, not oftentimes, but sometimes people just don't use car seats, which is incredibly unsafe. And John saw this as a problem. He saw it as a dad and then as an entrepreneur decided to do something about it. And so incredibly happy and grateful that John is on the phone and is joining us. John, how are you, man? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, man, we're so excited to have you. And we're so excited to talk about this because I think it's one of those things that, you know, as parents, especially parents with younger kids, like this is one of the biggest hassles is having to lug around all of the gear and all of the stuff that goes into it. And, you know, you want to find a solution for this. And, you know, I think all of us at some point have thought of different inventions. I mean, I've thought of at least five or six inventions in the last couple of weeks. But, <laughs> you know, you are a true inventor and have designed something that now literally millions of people have your product in their cars and kids are safer because of that. I mean, I want to talk to you about the origin story of all of that, but I kind of want to also go back a little bit and talk about you came from the corporate world and you worked for um, some pretty notable companies. And then in 2001, you were like, oh man, there's this problem that's going on. I need to figure out how to solve this. Talk me through what that was like back then and what was going through your mind when you thought about all this stuff. You know, I'm listening to your, to your introduction there and I just need to start by saying three weeks ago, yeah. we had a major milestone because we actually sold the one millionth MyFold car seat. Amazing. Which now when I'm thinking back to the, to the beginning, this origin story, it's almost unbelievable to, have, to, to think that the seed of an idea I had all those years ago has truly become, you know, a, a, a global phenomenon. Mm. And uh, I, as you said, I, I, I was a corporate guy. Um, I kind of really enjoyed the, the safety and the security and the salary of working with big companies. I worked for, with Unilever for many years, and I also uh, ran one of Johnson & Johnson's companies. And so that was the world I was in. And I, and I never really saw myself as, as an entrepreneur. But like you just said, I often saw things and I thought, well, there must be a better way of doing it. Mm. Mm -hmm. when, uh, when my kids were little, 2001, now my kids are, uh, are much older. But when they were little, we were actually living in New Jersey. And my kids were constantly in other people's cars. 
Mm. Either, you know, we would carpool with the neighbours to take the kids to school. My parents would be visiting, you can tell I'm from the UK, and they'd come and visit and they'd have uh, a rental car. And we'd have to juggle the booster seats from car to car, and we wouldn't always have them in the right place, or we'd be getting a taxi and all of these things. And we just found that the kids, uh, often we were cutting corners, we were taking risks because mm-hmm. it just wasn't practical to carry around a big bulky seat. And I thought if there was something really small and compact and portable that the kids could keep in their school bags, Mm -hmm. then if ever they got in a car and somebody was driving and they didn't have a spare car seat for them, they'd be able to pull it out and use it. So the the idea really came from my own need. Right. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to say that although I had the idea that long ago and almost a clear vision of how to solve the problem, life got busy and I didn't really do anything with it until uh, more than a decade later. Wow. Wow. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about that from, so from 2001 to 2011, this is like in the back of your mind and sort of coming up, like as you're moving and juggling car, like kids from car to car and you're like, Oh man, I need to do that. Cause I've had those moments too. It's just like, Oh, uh, I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to do this. What was the impetus for finally then saying, you know what, enough is enough. This needs to be done. You know, I had told a few people over the years about this idea. Uh, or, you know, Every time we were going through an airport and we were carrying the big bulky seats again, I'd remind myself in 2012, actually, January 2012, I saw an article. It, it was um, some research that was published in a pediatric journal. And it said very simply that half of kids in America don't have the right car seat when they're carpooling. And I truly thought, wow, if nobody has answered that problem, no one's come up with a solution in all of those times, maybe it's something that I should really look at. And it actually it started as a hobby. And I started kind of playing in my spare time. I made uh, uh, an awful looking homemade prototype today uh, we still have it somewhere in the office and it's nothing like the beautiful products that we're manufacturing today but it was to test this concept that i had yet my, my idea was that car seats booster seats are bulky because they have to lift the child up when they lift the child up it means that the seat belt that's really designed for an adult mm. so it's too big for a child when you lift the child up, you put the child into the position of an adult. Mm-hmm. The hip bones and the shoulder bones where you want the seat belt to rest are too low. You lift the kid up, they're in the right place, you fasten the seat belt, and they are protected. My idea was, is it possible to, instead of lift the child up to meet the seat belt, could you hold the seat belt down to fit the child? Mm. And if you could hold it down, it didn't need to be bulky and thick. So... That's what I did. I, I, I made this homemade prototype out of a black canvas mat, and I sewed on some mountain climbing carabiner clips. <laughs> and for anybody that actually knows the MyFold seat, um, it's the same concept. It's mm-hmm. a flat pad that the child sits on, and there's three belt guides. Two go either side of the hips, and one goes behind the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And as you fasten the seat belt, you thread it through these three guides, and it makes sure that the lap belt and the chest strap are always in exactly the right place, mm. even if the child is sitting low down on the regular vehicle seat. So I made this prototype, and I took it to a crash test center in England. And mm. between you and me, 
they, they, they were laughing at me. Yeah. They, you know, they're normally used to seeing people turning up with these huge, you're very well designed car seats. And I came with a black folding floppy thing, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I paid my money. Yep. So they had to do the test. And I just remember the reaction of the technician who was running the facility because it blew him away. It blew me away. It blew everybody away because this little device worked in exactly the same way as a traditional booster seat. And that that's when I knew that there was actually some potential mm. to, to the idea. I knew that the concept worked. Mm. Man, it blows me or it blows people away. It blew me away when I first saw it. And I mean, we have one, we have one for each of our children. And um, to me, when people see this, especially like I'm getting in and out of Uber uh, rides or, you know, some of these car sharing things that we have here in the States, right? And like people are just blown away at how compact this is. And I literally, I do, I do exactly what you said. I, I mean, it lives in their backpack and it's not heavy yeah. and they can carry it around. It, one of the biggest questions I get was, uh, or is how safe is it? And so, right. um, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, meeting those safety standards and what that was like, because I got to imagine that it was pretty, pretty arduous of a process to go through, especially in all these different countries. We, the, the, the products that we make are regulated in nearly every country on earth. And what's uh, great about the system is that it's very clear. You can read the regulations, you know, exactly how the product has to perform in order to meet the requirements. And then I did what I've actually done on every stage of this journey. I, I knew nothing about regulations for car seats and child passenger safety, but I found my way to meet some of the best experts in the world. And they advised me and they explained how to go about uh, preparing the products for the crash tests and which tests to do. There, there was a whole series of basic tests that make up the regulation. But we consider that today just to be the bare minimum. Mm. So we do tests way beyond the regulatory requirements because we want to make sure not just that this seat is good enough to right. meet the standard, we want to know that it's good enough to, uh, to protect a child in real life. Right. So we do all the regular tests, but we do faster tests. And we do tests that um, uh, it's called a pulse. The, the energy that's applied to the bench when you're when you're accelerating the dummy. Mm. We even take our products and we freeze them overnight in a military spec freezer, Whoa. so that when we crash test them the next day, we're kind of replicating what happens if somebody leaves this seat in a car overnight mm -hmm. in Alaska. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Wow. So uh, we, we and we have done the tests now uh, all over the world. That's incredible. That's incredible. Talk to me a little bit about the trial and the trials and tribulations of going from, you know, now you've got the approval. Um, you, you now saw this work inside of this crash test facility. You're like, okay, great. This gives me a lot of hope. It's still at that point was a bit of a hobby. No. And, and now in order yeah. to be able to get that from there to, you know, now being this product that's being sold on shelves and sold in all these huge retail outlets. Like, what was that process like? And what were some of the, the tougher moments that you had to fight through? Yeah. I think it, uh, the, the, toughest, the toughest thing always is the challenge that I'm dealing with today. Because I look back over the last few years that we've been doing this and 
all of the challenges that we faced, we've, we've actually overcome them all. But when I think back to the very beginning, interesting, one of the first things I did was I found a lawyer. And with that lawyer, we registered a, a patent. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, it was a provisional patent, but now it's been granted. And that, for you know, any budding entrepreneur, my advice would always be, you know, invest the time and the little bit of money that it takes to do a provisional patent. Do it early, early on in the process, because these patents take a long time to get granted. Uh, we have several patents now, but ours are granted all over the world. And what it means is you can go with confidence to people like industrial designers, or mechanical engineers, or material scientists, and you can share the problems, and they can help you with the solutions. And that's what I did, even when it was still a hobby. I took the black folding floppy thing to an industrial designer and said, you know, I need this, but it's got to look gorgeous like a MacBook. Mm. That was my brief, something that, you know, people would look at and think it's a gorgeous product and would communicate safety. Mm -hmm. And then he helped me find some mechanical engineers. And with the mechanical engineers, we started working on exactly how to convert it from a design to something that could be manufactured. And all the time, uh, I, was, I was constantly you know, getting advice from people that I was being introduced to. So, so my way of becoming an entrepreneur was really just asking everybody I could, do you know someone who can do this? Or have you got advice from someone who's done this? Or have you worked with someone before that does this? And that's how you start to build up your network. And from the network, you start getting introduced to other people. Yeah, yeah. I think I think oftentimes we, uh, some, or yeah, I think we can tend to devalue um, the need to ask for help and the need to like reach out to people that we know to be able to say, hey, I have no idea how to do this. Um, I need some advice. I need some help. Please, can you point me in the right direction? I, I feel like that's something that um, that happens to a lot of us and where we kind of hit some of those roadblocks. And I think that that's great advice. Let, let, me, let, let, let me tell you the best advice I got, though. I had, I had proved the concept with this crash test that I told you about. I'd started working with designers and engineers. Uh, it was still a hobby. It was taking more and more of my time, and it was costing more and more money. Mm. At the beginning, when it was just a piece of canvas and some clips and a couple of flights, it wasn't much. But design and engineering is tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And my best partner in this whole process is my wife. And she turned around to me and she told me to stop. She said, you can't have a hobby that's costing tens of thousands of dollars. But what she said was, why not try and raise some money? And that actually set me off on um, the, one of the most exciting parts of the journey, which was I went out and tried to raise money. And I did what you know people call an angel round mm -hmm. um, through wealthy individuals that I was introduced to. And I met some sophisticated investors and they liked the idea and they would put in some of their own money, even if it wasn't money from the fund that they managed. And all of a sudden, and this was around the end of 2013, so this hobby had been going on already for nearly two years, um, we did our seed round of investment and raised $600,000. And that $600,000 actually meant that I could put all of my efforts into this. I could uh, quit what I was doing. I could rent a little office space and it really was an office space. It was like a, 
uh, a closet that the landlord of the building kind of cleared out <laughs> and put a desk in the corner for me. Yeah. Uh, and I could start working full time on it. And once you can start dedicating all of your efforts and all of your energies into it, uh, you make much, much better progress. So I think my wife was pleased because, you know, she saw our kids' college funds um, stopped stop them being drained right. for me to do my hobby right. but also it meant that I could actually approach this professionally and that as, as I said end, uh, end of 2013 about six years ago um, it's actually been the model of what I have done you know all the way through the process which is um, uh, every time you raise money you sell or give away uh, a part of the business mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not greedy and by having had investors, and we've done a few rounds of investment now over the years, what it means is I've always had the funds available to build the business properly and to recruit people at the right time and to make the necessary investments in the molds and in the manufacturing and in the supply chain and all of the logistics that we now deal with and the customer service and the marketing and all of those things uh, by raising money at the right time in the business it's meant that we've been able to do it properly. So mm. I no longer own 100% uh, of, of the wonderful idea I had when my kids were little, but uh, the smaller percentage that I do own uh, is worth considerably more. Yes, yeah, a smaller piece of the bigger pie, right? As opposed to 100% yeah. of the small little pie. Yeah. Um, or yeah. in your case, I mean... Who knows what would have happened, right? Especially when you're inventing something that, you know, sometimes people are so caught there where then the product never gets finished and then you don't have a million people that then you've been able to help solve this issue for. So the world is better yeah. for it. Yeah, I um, I think that that's an incredible story. Talk to me a little bit more. I mean, we're, I know we're about to jump into a top three here in just a moment, but Talk to me a little bit about what that was like for you in terms of going through this process of starting a new business, inventing this product, and having four kids at home and a wife at home and <laughs> and all of that. Because I know that a, a lot of us are probably thinking that as well. It's just like, wow. And to go through this at that stage in your life, that's quite a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, it's definitely not easy because there's a difference between between being in a corporate life, you know, almost nine to five and, the, you know, the ability to really switch off in the evenings and the weekends and take the vacations when, you know, whenever you like, uh, to being an entrepreneur where it's truly, uh, at least in my mind, 24 hours a day because you're always uh, thinking and planning and dealing with and panicking and all of those things. So I think I, I, I am very lucky uh, because I truly have a great uh, support structure in my family. My wife, um, uh, maybe it's a madness of hers, but uh, she trusted me when I decided that we were going to, uh, going to do this. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is seeing how uh, my, my relationship with my kids evolved over, over those years. Um, I think... Everybody talks about kind of a life-work balance, mm -hmm. and I, I just find that it's completely impossible. Mm. It's impossible to kind of segment and say, okay, this is kind of family time and this is kind of work time, because literally today, you know, I wake up in the morning, and it's, uh, you know, midday out in Asia where our factory is, and there's always things to deal with there. 
And then at the end of the day, like uh, I'm talking to you, right. you know, at nighttime because you're out there on the West Coast and we do a lot of things. I mean, America is our largest market and we mm. work with agencies and retailers that are out on the West Coast. So it really is a full day thing. And managing the life-work balance really has, has molded the relationship with my kids um, over these years. So maybe it's a good opportunity to talk about kind of my top three. Yeah. Which is... Uh, yeah, let's do know, it. Uh, I'm excited. Is that, is that, yeah, let's do it. Do we, let's do we do have it. a jingle? Yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> do, we, we, do. we do. And we're going to take uh, a quick short break. Um, a quick word from our sponsors. And we'll come right back. And we've got John's top three. John's got a special top three for everybody out there. Do not go anywhere. Come right back. Uh, more here on A Tribe Called Dad in just a moment. A tribe called Dad. This is the top three. It's the top three. It's the top three. This is the top three. This is the top three. Here we go. John has put together a top three, and uh, we were kind of debating between two different top threes that you had. You, you've gone above and beyond and you've actually put together a top six um but uh it's a top three what do you want to call this john yeah so uh, as i said i don't believe in life work balance i believe in merging everything together so it's the top three ways to merge everything together when you're a dadpreneur how about that i love it i love it i heard somebody talking about this recently and they talked about integration work life integration um, as a concept yeah. of like being able to put it all together. So there we go. Um, I love it. Uh, top three work-life integration tips for <laughs> entrepreneurs that are out there. Here we go. Number one. Number one. All right, give us okay. number one. So, yeah, so, so number one is be there. Mm. Always be there. Even if it, you, sometimes you're there because it's mealtime and you have to break away and take a quick phone call or you've got to deal with some emails or there's a crisis or something like that, still be there. Because what I found is that your kids notice that you're there and they appreciate that you're busy. But if you try and separate, then the business starts to suffer. Mm. So my advice, number one, is just merge life and work together and be there when you can with your kids because they're going to grow up like mine have and they're going to move away. And what they'll remember is that you were around. Mm. But if you try and separate life and work and you always miss those important things, then uh, that's what they will remember. So that that's number one. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think that um, it is true, right? Like if you try to keep that completely separate and you're just like, all right, well, I will finish all of the work while I'm in my office or whatever that is, and then I'll come home and then I'll just completely shut everything off then yes, to one degree, like that's nice because then you're you're fully present there with your kids. But then the other side of it, then they're they're also not aware of what you are doing. And I think that that's really interesting that you would say that because I think um, your kids got a chance to see you working and see you uh, step away for a minute and then come right back. Um, that's a good one. All right, so be yeah. there, be present. That's uh, that's number one. All right, here we go. Number two. Number two. Number two. Mm-hmm. Number two is bring them with you. Mm. What does it mean? Like, let your kids come and sit in the office and sit in the corner and they can do the homework or even sit in meetings and if they're bored, let them watch something with their earphones on and things like that. Take them on business trips. I traveled a huge amount over those years and each one of the kids would come away with me once a year. 
and mm. add a couple of days on to a business trip and go and do something. I went parachuting with one of my boys uh, for his 13th birthday mm. uh, because we just merged everything together. That's number one. And number two, bring them with you. Let them see what you're doing so they can appreciate how you spend your time. It's not like a black box that, you know, daddy leaves the house in the morning and he comes back in the evening. They've got no idea because once they appreciate you know, what you're doing and how you're interacting with people and how you're moving things forward and the things you've got to deal with, then it makes it much easier for them to understand why you're always busy. Right, right. It gives them that context because uh, otherwise they just have no idea. Yeah, and it just seems like time away from them. Um, I love that. That's a great one. Um, all right, here we go. Number three. Number three. Number three. Number, are- number three. Number three is commit to showing your kids that you can do things other than work. So I wake up in the morning and my kids see me exercising or they might see me meditating or over the weekend they will see that I'm, I'm very disciplined because I disconnect for 24 hours, uh, you know, from mm-hmm. all day Saturday. I don't have the phones on. I don't use the computer and things like that. Because then what they understand is that you can still be successful and you can still do everything you need to do for business, but you can still look after yourself and be a whole person rather than just being, you know, a complete workaholic all the time. Right, right. I uh, was in a conversation with a, uh, a group of men recently, and one of the things that came up is that I think as men, sort of by default, a lot of times we define who we are by what we do. Um, and it's sort of inherent in, I guess, how we've been conditioned, at least in this country. Um, and with a lot of, a lot of people that I talk to, it, that tends to be sort of the sentiment is, you know, you are almost defined by your work and defined by your career. And I think what you're uh-huh. saying now is, is definitely, um, is really great advice. So there you go. How was my top three? I love it. I love it. I think that was great. I think overall, man, I'm just so, I'm so happy to be able to feature um, somebody who has, I mean, this is a success story through and through. I mean, you literally took something that was a concept, an idea. And I love the fact that I didn't know that it took you 10 years to go from this idea that you had to then actually building the product, which to me makes your story so much even stronger, you know, for anybody who's out there who has ever had an idea or who has ever, you know, wanted to do something and just didn't act immediately on impulse, right? Where it was like, oh, I've got this idea. Let me just go out and do it. And we celebrate that person. Instead, we're celebrating something that has been a real process and has had, and you've gone through a lot to have to get to this stage here. And I think, man, I, I really appreciate what, you're doing. I appreciate the example that you're setting, not only for your own children, but you know, for for people that listen into this podcast and who you know follow the story and know of what it is that you did. So, just man, my hats off to you, John. I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate all that you guys have done and all that you continue to do with revolutionizing this that is going on. I think there's still so much work that needs to be done. I see people schlepping these freaking car seats all over the place. I mean, (laughs) you you go to any airport and you see people and it's just, it's so much uh, that you guys have solved. I also want to take a a quick moment to acknowledge uh, the new, the newest product, the newest addition 
to um, your your guys's product line, which is where you and I even connected in person when you were in LA, mm -hmm. which is the high fold, which is a full on car seat. So not just the booster seat, but like a full on car seat for younger kids and for somebody that wants a bit more um, a, a bit more of a, of a seat as opposed to just a booster. You guys have created this new product. Tell us a little bit about that before we wrap here. Yeah, so uh, high fold, which we call the fitting fold booster seat, it takes the concept we created with my fold, which is compact and portable, which allows it to be much more easy to carry around. But there are a lot of people who are looking for something much more substantial than a backless booster seat. People want to have a backrest, they want to see the sides, they want a headrest on it. And we set out to create the most adjustable and compact and portable high back booster in the world. And, and I'll tell you, obviously, with this conversation we're having, I'm talking about all the great things and how everything, you know, is wonderful, but it's probably one of the most difficult things I ever did, which mm. was to set out to make something that is usually solid and rigid and large, and every single part of it can fold or adjust, and it's like a transformer. Yeah. It kind of folds in on itself, and you carry it around. And we we managed to do it. We launched it uh, in the second half of last year. The initial sales um, around the world have been ahead of our expectations, so we're really excited. And, and specifically, what's uh, and maybe this is, you know, uh, kind of wrapped into what you were saying about helping people. Um, w when I created the idea for these small products, it was to solve the problems I had, you know, 15 years ago or more now. Mm -hmm. But the, the world has moved on. The, uh, personal transportation is going through a revolution today. Mm -hmm. the, the millennials are now having kids and those kids need to go in car seats. And millennials don't buy cars anymore. Right. They don't want to own a car. Right. They want to use a car, whether it's a Zipcar or Lyft or Uber and all these other, you can Toro and you can choose this car today and that car tomorrow. What do you do if mm -hmm. you have a kid and you don't have a car? The car seat has to stay with the kid. It can't stay with the car. Right. So I set out to solve problems for my kids when we were carpooling and the grandparents were visiting. But the products that we've created today are actually opening up all of this world of new transportation for young parents who aren't going to invest ridiculous sums of money in owning cars, but they still want to carry their kids around safely. Mm. And that's, at the end of the day, we've got a lovely office full of people here and we're all passionate about child passenger safety. And we just love bringing out these products that mean more and more kids can be protected in more cars on more journeys, more of the time. I love it. I love it. Um, man, I can't thank you enough. Uh, for anybody who wants more information on uh, MyFold and HighFold, they can go to MyFold.com, correct, John? That's right. M-I-F-O-L-D.com, MyFold.com. Amazing. And you Check can always out. write to me. Yeah. Uh, my email address is John at MyFold.com. And we love to uh, hear people's stories and answer people's questions. I love it. John, thank you so much for being here. And I know with the time difference, it's a bit crazy. And uh, man, I just appreciate you being here. And I also want to thank you and everybody from MyFold for hooking up our listeners with an exclusive discount. So anybody out there that's listening to this, you can use our code TRIBE15, T-R-I-B-E 15, 
at checkout and save a little bit of money on MyFold or HighFold on any of the products that are offered on the MyFold.com site. And um, I want to thank you, uh, listener, who is out there for tuning in each and every week. Uh, please hit us up. Uh, you can find us on social media at A Tribe Called Dad. You can check out a tribe called dad.com. And I like to end the show always like this. Dads are better than moms. Dads are better than moms. Dads are better than mommy. Sorry.